come to Romans chapter 13. We're looking at verses 1 to 7 today. Let me give you a quick review. Most of you are pretty familiar faces, so I might go through this pretty quickly. Chapters 1 through 11. An overall title would just be The Mercies of God. Chapters 1 through 11, right? Uh, Just to name a very, very few. We saw the fact that God would take a sinner like me and make me just if I... Just as if I'd never ever sinned. Make me completely clean. That is His mercy. I was condemned to die and Jesus was willing to swap out His righteousness for my filthy rags, right? Uh, We saw, among other things, the fact that He's not giving up on me or you. Okay, I'm not just talking about... For me, if, if you know Jesus... Right? He's not giving up on you. You are his project and he finishes everything he begins. He's committed to seeing us in heaven. He's working absolutely everything out for our good and for his glory to make us more and more like Jesus, to transform us. Okay, And then we came to chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, over this whole chapter and actually pretty much the rest of the book. You could put this title, Transformers. Because... We look at his mercies and look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 and you'll see Paul says, okay, now that I've told you about how great God has been to you, here's your reasonable response. This is just a logical response to someone who gave up so much for you so that you could come to heaven. Number one, relinquish your body. Number two, refuse to be conformed to the world, to think the way the world thinks, to act the way the world acts, but instead be what? transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? In part, that's what you guys are doing right now. You're showing up, submitting your bodies, right? Saying, I could have been at the beach, but I'm here. I'm submitting myself. I'm refusing to be conformed to the world, but I am now desiring that my mind would be transformed, right? And that the rest of me would follow. The word is metamorphosis. And so we've kind of been on this kick. Transformers. Right? That we are changing daily. To be more and more like Jesus. Okay? Here's the deal. Today, we're going to see what that transformation is supposed to look like in terms of our relationship with the civil authorities, with government. What is the Christian transformer? Sorry, I need to quit saying it like that. What is the Christian transform, transformation? What does it look like? In, return, in terms of the way that that person thinks about or talks about or complies with or doesn't comply with government authorities. Well, I thought first I would read for you from the text of the NACV, the New American Conformers Version. Okay, I made that up. There's no such thing. But... To to look at some Christians operate, you might think that they had an N-A-C-V. They think like the world does. They just do it with Christian ease, okay? This is the way I think the N-A-C-V would read. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul belittle the governing authorities, for their authority is not from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by the devil. Therefore, whoever resists the authority pleases God. And those who resist will bring God's approval on themselves. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, where can I get that? I'd like that. Where can I pick up an NACV? Well, I am not sure. I hope it doesn't exist. It might. Um, 
But I can tell you that it was well worn by the liberals in the past election cycle. I can tell you it's being well worn by conservatives in this election cycle. I can tell you it's well worn by anyone who conforms to the way the world thinks. But let's see, though, what the scripture really says. What Paul says to Christians who are willing to be transformed, transformers. He starts out first with a very dirty word, subject or submit. Romans 13, verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. The word subject, it's hupotasso. It means to submit, to obey, to yield. It was literally a Greek military term. So he chose a military term here, meaning to arrange uh, in troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was, listen, a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, of assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. So Romans 13.1 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And here's why. He says, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. If you're taking notes, maybe the first thing you want to write down is, look, a transformed citizen, number one, understands that God appoints all governing authorities. You guys read for me the word authority or authorities. Okay, beginning in verse one. Let every soul be subject to the governing, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance or order of things of God. Four times in one and a half verses, Paul uses that other dirty word, authority. Do you have a problem with Authority? You say no, as long as they agree with me. Think the way I think. Maybe you say it like this. Look, I obey godly authority, but the current administration, or maybe for you it's the last administration, was ungodly. Listen, that may be true. But just because a leader is ungodly, listen, doesn't mean they weren't appointed by God. Think of it. Didn't we read just a couple chapters ago that God said of Pharaoh, I've raised you up that I might basically show my power. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar. There's tons and tons of examples in the Old Testament where God used wicked men to discipline his children. There's King Saul, not very godly. There's Nero that we're going to learn more about in a little bit. Read verse 1 again. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Paul says, look, if they are in power, it's because ultimately God put them there. Psalms, uh, yeah, Psalm 62, 11 says, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. And what if you have two witnesses, right, it's confirmed. Here's the rest of that uh, psalm, Psalm 62, 11, that power belongs to God. Daniel 2, 21 is even more direct. It says that God, listen, removes kings and raises up kings. He puts people in leadership. 
Now, in America, we are blessed and responsible. You, I think you are not a good citizen, right, if you refuse to exercise your right to vote. Okay? But ultimately, you have to understand this, that God appoints kings, presidents, rulers. Now, you may be thinking, well, how could God put a ruler in charge that I don't like? <laughs> how rude of him. Listen, if you haven't figured it out yet, here's your answer. Sometimes God will appoint a leader to bless a people. Sometimes to correct them or discipline them. Sometimes he will appoint a leader to prosper a nation. Sometimes to punish a nation. Now some of you are thinking, yep, he blessed us in 2008 and he punished us in the year 2000. Or vice versa. He blessed us in 2000 and he's punishing us now. The fact remains, God appoints all Authority. Now, that might bother you, but for me, it's, it's an encouragement. Think about this. Isn't it nice to know that God doesn't pace the floor of heaven on the first Tuesday of November? Man, I hope they don't blow it. Oh, man. Isn't it nice to, to know that he doesn't wake up on the following Wednesday and go, Great, now what am I going to do? A transformer citizen understands that all authority comes from God. might not be godly, but it comes from God. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance, that is the order or arrangement of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You remember when your teacher would say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be uh, outside the classroom and Mrs. So-and-so will be your substitute or, or Mr. So-and-so will be your substitute. Well, they always say, I want you to treat them just like you would treat me. You act for her. Um, you act up for her. You answer to me. Paul is basically making the same argument here. Look, God arranged for that authority, whether you like them or not, whether they're godly or not, to be in power. And he says, if you resist the authority in general, you are resisting God. Now, that makes us very important to figure out, okay, what in the world does resist mean? It's, the word is antitasso, and it means, listen, to range in battle against. And that's, that's good, hopefully good news to you. That, I think this allows for peaceful, respectful discourse in a free society with an emphasis on the word respectful. But Paul says, look, if you go to battle against a civil authority, whether it's a war of words or a battle of bumper stickers or whatever. He says, look, whoever resists authority, resists the God who put them in authority. And he says, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. The word will bring, it's limbano. It means to take with the hand. So you could read it this way. When you go to battle with authority, you pull down by your own hand judgment. On yourself. Now follow me here. This is really interesting. Because to me this means that you can be totally right about a subject. And still find yourself on the wrong end of God's judgment. Because you were combative in your approach with that authority. 
You tracking with me? You can be exactly right on an issue, and because you overstepped your bounds, you weren't respectful, then what does God have to do? He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You can be right on an issue and make yourself wrong with God. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. If you resist that authority which he ultimately allowed to be in place, then to be true to himself, he must resist you because you are being prideful. Wasn't it uh, Satan's rebellion that sent him, that made him Satan, really, right? Now, of course, let's talk about this. Are there times when you are supposed to resist? I mean, there's got to be, right? There's, yes, that's a quick answer, yes. And here it is, when the government directly commands us to disobey God. For instance, and we don't know, this time might be coming fairly quickly. If the government says that I'm no longer supposed to teach from the Bible, well, wait, the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus told me to go and make disciples of all men. To teach the word in season and out of season. So if the government says, look, you can't do that, you guys get to visit me in jail. That'll be your jail ministry. Okay? We, about a year ago, we laughed about that. You're not laughing anymore. Maybe it's because it's maybe more likely. I don't know. Acts chapter 4. Turn there with me. And I'll show you an example here. Peter resisted authority. But I think you'll see. He, he did it pretty respectfully here. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they, that is the Sanhedrin, the, the bigwigs in uh, the Jewish government. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. By the way, what Peter and John had done to uh, elicit this wrath was heal a guy. It was really terrible. Okay? They have said, look, we don't want you to ever speak that name or teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Look, you are giving me a direct order exactly opposite of what Jesus told me to do. Okay? Turn to Acts 5, just, just another page over. Uh, I'll save you some details, but quickly, God busted them out of prison. They submitted to the authorities in that they went to prison, but God busted them out. And guess what they did? Went right back and started preaching. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's, that's Jesus, blood on us. Verse 29, before they were saying, hey, you, you tell us, he, uh, Peter clarifies a bit more now, verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, look, we ought to obey God rather than men. If you're asking us to make a direct uh, to disobey a direct order from our ultimate king, it's not going to happen. So is there a time to resist authority? Of course. When you must choose directly between obeying them and obeying God, the choice is easy. But listen, this is the part where we, where we forget. Our default is supposed to be to submit to authority. That's supposed to be the place that we go to first. Because... Paul says, look, all authority is from God. The transforming citizen understands and gets it and agrees with God. All authority is from you. Next, the transformer citizen, though, is unafraid. 
Because they do what's good. Look at verse 3. Romans 13, verse 3. Paul says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister. Interesting, we're going to see that word a few times. For he is God's minister to, to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So Paul, I think, has already established that God appoints all authorities. And now he takes it a step further and he calls them ministers. He says these are God's ministers. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that totally makes sense. Both ministers and politicians try to shake me down for money. Hopefully not here. The word minister is diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. It means servant. It's one who executes the commands of another. So what Paul is saying is they are doing the Lord's business. Paul says it's crazy to think of. Your public servants are in fact God's servants to the public. They may not act like it. They might not even know it. And if they don't act like it in in what God would have them to do, they will answer for that. But the fact remains, whether they're like Pharaoh doing God's will by fighting all of his people, or they're like David who does God's will by blessing, the fact remains that just as I am a minister of the gospel of God, think about this, policemen, firemen, elected officials, in your city, in your county, in the state, even federal authorities are, it says right here, God's ministers to the public. That is really, when you think about it, their job description. They're supposed to do right, whether it's toward good or evil, for the citizens. Look at it, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to, he's going to talk about good works and evil, right? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Let me give you an illustration. This should become very clear to you. What Paul is saying is, look, you do good, don't need to be afraid. Let's say you are, are driving within the speed limit, you are obeying the traffic laws, and you see a police car. Your response is, good morning, officer. God bless you for what you do. So thank you for, for keeping the crazy people off the road. You're unafraid, right? Let's say, though, instead you're going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, and you blow through a stoplight that was orange, Okay, this is all hypothetical, right? And then you see a police car. That same police car. But there's a lump in your throat. You're looking in the rearview mirror. Your palms are sweating. Your, your prayer life goes up exponentially. Now, I don't know this. Lisa tells me that that's what this is like. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is going to be a fun day. Um, no, you get it. When, when you're disobedient... You're scared to death of that police officer. Why? Because he is God's minister to execute $200 worth of wrath upon you who practices evil. 
Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Very interesting. He says, look, if you do well, they'll speak well of you. They will speak well of you. Now, this instantly takes me back to a whole series that we did in First Peter. How many of you were here during the winsome series? Okay, you're dismissed. No, just kidding. Um, turn to First Peter chapter 2. Really important to know that Peter is writing to a group of people that are consistently being fed to lions, flayed alive, rolled up in pitch, and called Nero's candles that he would have. He would literally light them to uh, make his parties more enjoyable for his guests. Those are the people that, that Peter is writing to. First Peter chapter 2, look at it, verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, we would say among the unbelievers, okay? Among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, he says, submit yourself to every ordinance, same word we saw before, of man for the Lord's sake, everything that God puts into place, whether to, look at this, the king as supreme. He's talking about Nero. And he says, submit yourself when you can, right? When it's not directly defiling or, or against God's orders. Submit yourself whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Sounds very familiar. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know the best way to shut up someone who calls you a bigot and a, a hate monger? By your good works. To muzzle them. Verse 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. All people, not just the good people, not just Christians, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and what? Honor the king. And that's not too hard to digest until you put the word Nero behind it. But that's the, the word that they would have thought of. See, Peter's point, Paul's point here, if you win, live a winsome life, that's respectful to all men, especially men in authority, and women in authority, you will win some. If you live a winsome life, you will win some. He says, back in our text, he says, look, they will speak well of you, even if it's begrudging praise. You can turn there back to uh, Romans 13. I think this should be happening all over the area here in regards to Christians, especially that call Calvary Chapel their home. I think it should be happening in government meetings, especially in government meetings. Something like this. Man, the news keeps telling me, you know, these, these guys are in, in their meetings. News keeps telling me that Christians are small-minded. They're hate mongers. They're bigots. But the ones I keep running into are kind, gentle, helpful, respectful to authority. Y'all, we ought to be the best citizens. I've said it before, the world will say awful things about you 
And this is what Peter says, don't let them be right. Win them over by your winsome behavior. Put them to silence. You just might win some to Christ. Application. Are you living a life that is so winsome that even people who fundamentally disagree with you, and there are plenty, they must grudgingly admit that you're kind, that you're forgiving, that you're quick to admit that you're wrong, that you're slow to wrath, that you're slow to accuse them, that you, well, like Jesus, getting more and more like Him. Now, this is totally pragmatic, but I I got to thinking of it. Interesting to think about. You know, as we grow and our our lease comes up in in about six months, you can be praying about that as well. But I don't know if it'll be sooner or later, but don't you think as we grow, there's more and more likelihood that we will want the city and the county to think well of us? That they're going to say, you want to pull the building there? Oh, you want to rezone that? How awesome would it be if we were such a winsome, law-abiding, helpful bunch that they're like, yeah, what can we do? What can we do to keep you guys happy because you are salt and light in this area? Back at Romans 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil... Be afraid. I hear him say, be very afraid. (laughs) For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister. Once again, his servant. An avenger, it says, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. A lot of pretty scary words there. Avenger, execute wrath. It says he does not bear the sword in vain. I don't think... If you were honest, uh, especially in this day when you're reading this text, that you could avoid his reference here to capital punishment. He says he bears the sword and it's not in vain. Now this sermon keeps getting more and more comfortable for me. You see that? The sword here is a clear reference to government's authority, I would say even responsibility, to enforce the death penalty. Okay, you're still here. All right. Um, Look, if you've been coming here for a while, I hope you've noticed by now. I truly do my level best to avoid politics in the pulpit. Matter of fact, I would actually encourage you to sort of adopt that in much of your life. Now, maybe some of you are like you're built for politics and and you can can discourse with folks respectfully. And and that's awesome. And that's fine. But here's what I've noticed, especially in our society today. The quickest way to get half of our society to tune you out is to talk politics. So that they're gone. You want to say something to them about uh, Christ and what he can do. They tuned you out long ago because you jumped on a political issue that wasn't central to the gospel. Please understand, I'm not saying don't ever talk about politics. It's our right. Um, how, how are you going to change behavior uh, and, and the way people vote unless you talk about it? I get that. But I'm just saying, please ask for wisdom when it comes to these things. All right, so here's the deal, though. 
I, I truly do my very best to uh, avoid such issues. But here, right here, the scripture is speaking, and I'm a Bible teacher. <laughs> Guess what? I'm on the hook. I've got I to gotta rightly divide this as best I know how. And here's what I would say. Perhaps you believe that God has changed his mind about the government's right or responsibility to impose the death penalty in the New Testament. I say change his mind because if you read the Old Testament, it's really, really obvious, right? So you might be thinking, oh, but, you know, things have changed in the New Testament. I get that, but here's the deal. I don't really have evidence of that. Instead, I have this verse. Among others, and what does this verse say? It says, for, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword. In our day, he does not bear the in- injection uh, uh, or the gas chamber in vain. It says, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now track with me, okay? Because I know what maybe some of you are thinking. Avenger, execute wrath. Wait a second. Aren't we supposed to forgive? Pastor, get, Pastor Doug, Doug, did you forget just last week? <laughs> You're supposed to, we're supposed to forgive our enemies? I would say, ah, oh, good, Daniel, son. Matter of fact, turn back there, Romans chapter 12, you'll see it. You remember? Just a week ago, Paul said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written... God saying this, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He doesn't say vengeance is mine and I don't want anybody to repay. He says vengeance is mine. I will repay. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please, please don't, don't think that I'm changing my, my stand on anything. A transformer, listen, just as much as they did last week, a transformer still forgives and blesses his enemies. Absolutely. But can we talk about this in real life, in practical terms? You, you wake up in the middle of the night. You hear a noise. You walk out in the living room. And someone has your kids tied up and they are stealing all of your stuff. Does the end of Romans chapter 12 mean that your first reaction is to be, bless you, here, can I get you a glass of water, a ham sandwich? Oh, you you forgot, there's where the jewelry is. (laughs) Is that what this is saying? Are you supposed to say, look, I'd like to call the police, but Romans 12 says I should let you go. No. When you understand Romans 12 and Romans 13, your duty, your job, for the rest of society, so that there's not chaos... Is this to call the police to tie them up if you can and then make them a sandwich? <laughs> hey, you want a glass of water while we wait for the police? See, God already told us in chapter 12, vengeance is mine. Here in chapter 13, he says, this is how I do it. I use government. I have ministers that that's their job. I I use civil authorities. God avenges. He executes wrath. There's no way you're going to make that word any, you know, more palatable, any less uh, as strong as it is. 
God avenges, he executes wrath up to, and I believe including the death penalty, on him who practices evil through his ministers in civil government. Now I get it. You may still have some arguments against the death penalty, and you're welcome to them. I I hope that this one issue wouldn't make you go, I'm never going back to that church just because that one guy believes that. Okay? But I just have to tell you, from my perspective, that's not a, a biblical argument. You may have other arguments, and they may be good, but I'm not sure that it's biblical. Here's, here's what I mean. Perhaps your argument, though, would be, look, with our, our government as messed up as, as it is, why take the risk of executing someone who's innocent? Hey, that's an excellent argument. It's totally legitimate. I get that. I respect that. But on the other hand, weren't most of the apostles killed innocently at the hands of of the government. Most scholars would agree that Paul, the very writer of these words, was killed how? By the sword of the Roman government. Don't you think if there was ever a guy who would say, uh, uh, now I'm against the death penalty, don't you think it would be him? Instead, though, we have these words, look, if you do evil, be afraid, because he does not bear the sword in vain. And Paul trusts God enough, and Jesus even said that you will be persecuted. He trusts God enough to let God sort all of the the details out and make sure that justice is served in either this life or the next. The transformer is unafraid because he does good. Third, the transformer now, the transformed citizen, should be unhindered by his conscience. Verse 5. He says, therefore, you must be subject, once there's that dirty word again, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. <laughs> All right. You guys keeping track here? I've called some of you out for disrespecting authority. <laughs> I've weighed in on the death penalty. In case there's a few I haven't offended, here we go. Verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually, it says, to this very thing. Okay, we can agree on that. They're really good at attending to making sure you pay your taxes, right? That's what it literally means. Uh, Proskaterio, it means to adhere to one, to be devoted to, to be steadfastly attentive. The IRS is very good at this, okay? For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's minister continuing to this very thing. Interesting. Paul says, in regard to taxes, did you notice? You shouldn't pay just in, to avoid wrath, penalty, but to have an unhindered conscience. Because listen, and this is the crux of the matter, an unhindered conscience is an unhindered witness. There may be some of you in the room that you're not actually all that bashful. Sharing the gospel actually doesn't, doesn't bother you in, in concept. But it could be that you don't have an unhindered conscience and you'd feel like a hypocrite talking about uh, a God who hasn't transformed you. Am I making sense? An unhindered uh, conscience is an unhindered witness. Let me put it this way. Imagine your success rate. If you were honest and you were a tax cheat, hey, I'm cheating on my taxes this year. I totally want you to come to my church. It's awesome. Nobody's going to listen to that. And again, maybe you're thinking, well, but 
No, I don't have to pay my taxes, and here's why. Because I am not a citizen of America. My citizenship is in heaven. Well, nice try, but didn't Jesus come from heaven? He, if there was ever a citizen of heaven, it was Jesus. And what do we find? Jesus actually paying taxes, and he didn't have any money. He's like, hey, Peter, go grab that fish. There'll be enough taxes in there for you and for me. Right? Okay, now granted, today that would be a really big fish. <laughs> but just, even Jesus paid taxes. He says, verse 7, Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Income taxes, that would be probably. Custom to whom customs, that would be sales taxes. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. He says in the top of verse 7, Re- Render therefore to all their due. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Wasn't it Jesus said, Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which... Matter of fact, turn there. Matthew 22. And while you're turning there, I love it that I can't read very long in, in a book that Paul writes without going, Oh, Jesus said that. Oh, he totally stole that from Jesus. Would that, would that be a fair statement of you? Do, when people listen to you, they're like, oh, yeah, you totally got that from Jesus. I just love that, and I want to be more and more like that. Okay? And you will find that as you go through and listen to Paul. Uh, it's like he's, n- none of these are really original thoughts, but they are from the heart of God whom he uh, spoke with daily. Matthew 22, look at verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. They're trying to uh, trap Jesus by his words. Verse 16. And they sent to him their disciples and the Herodians with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. You're such a great guy, Jesus. We just we're, we really respect you so much. Verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Dun, dun, dun. Now, this was the, the hot button issue of the day. The, they go specifically trying to trap him. Because everybody, any good Jew, would be like, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? I mean, we're not Rome's. We don't belong to Rome. We belong to God. We pay taxes. We're not going to pay them. Right? That was the, the general feeling. So these guys are like, ah, this is brilliant. We're going to ask Jesus this question. Hey, you're so great. You're so awesome. Can you tell us something? Should you pay taxes to Rome or not? Well, if he says, no, don't pay taxes, then the Roman government will quickly uh, enforce their wrath upon him. Right? They think, but if he says, yes, you should pay your taxes, then all of these Jews around us will lynch him because he sold out to the Roman government. It's brilliant. Look at verse 18. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. This is the first place where you hear that word, show me the money. <laughs> show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. He said, okay, let me, let me look at that. Huh, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Okay, so it's got his picture on it. 
Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. What does Caesar own? All of the coins that have his face on them. What does God own? Everything. So it says, verse 22, When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Boiled again. Now back to Romans chapter 13. Again, while you're turning back, I just think it's so awesome that so many of Paul's words you can trace back to Jesus. And I hope it's that way more and more with you and me. Verse 7, he says, Look, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, that would be obedience. He's saying obedience to who uh, you, you owe obedience and honor to whom honor. Word honor there means respect. Case I haven't offended you enough today. Can I ask you, are you treating the authorities that God has allowed to be placed above us? Are you giving them the respect that Paul says they are due? I know, I know. You're thinking this, look, they need to earn my respect. Tell that to Peter, who was writing in Nero's day, and he penned these words, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Interesting questions. I want to close with just a a few quick insights on Paul because you might be thinking, well, you know, it's nice for him to write in his uh, ivory tower and not have to deal with this in real life. Well, uh, in Acts 24, I'll read you this. Uh, Remember, toward the end of the book of Acts, Paul is basically defending himself uh, before this guy and this guy and this guy till he finally uh, ends up in Rome. Acts 24 He's before the governor. Uh, In verse 10 it says, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, I should preface this, there was a really fancy lawyer that had said all these terrible things about Paul. Okay, And Paul, it's his turn to speak. And and here's how he answers. He doesn't say, You stinking governor, I hate you. You're going to earn my respect. No, this is what he says. It's funny because you you can kind of tell he can't find a whole lot of great stuff to say. So this is what he says. Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. It's like, what can I say nice about you? Hey, you've been a judge for a long time. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, he's doing his best here. Uh, You go a couple chapters later, Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Listen to this. I think myself happy, you jerk, Agrippa. No, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all of the things which I am accused of by the Jews, especially because you're an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Honest, truthful, but he looks for something. Hey, I can respect this. Here's here's a point of contact that I have with this person that's true. Now, lest you think, though, that, that Paul, you know, okay, it's obvious he wasn't just in his ivory tower, but... Maybe you're thinking, well, he nailed it all the time. He always did just such a great job. Turn to Acts 23. This is the last place I'll ask you to turn. This is really great, I think, because it gives us some perspective. Paul's just like the rest of us. He's like, okay, God says to do it. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to try. Look at Acts 23, verse 1. He's speaking before the Sanhedrin. 
He, his life is on the line. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience. He's got an unhindered conscience before God until this day. <laughs> and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you said to judge me according to the law, and you do command me to be struck contrary to the law. Paul's still working this whole thing out. <laughs> but look, verse 4. And those who stood by said, Do you revile, what's it say, God's high priest? And Paul doesn't say he's not God's high priest. What's he say? I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Did you catch that? Paul goes, Oh, wow. Yeah. You're right. My bad. I I spoke out of turn. The things that I say may be true, but they needed to stay inside this thing that I have a cage for. Right? I need to be respectful toward the authority that God has allowed to be there. I just love it because, again, it shows me this was something that God was working out in Paul as well. So here's my question. You know, it took me this long to say it. Are we willing to be transformed citizens? Or do we want to be continually conformed to the way the world thinks? You know, okay, this is the way that the, the, uh, the Christian is supposed to think in the political world. And this is the way they're supposed to act. They're supposed to be mean and abusive and hateful. Are we willing to be different There's a whole world out there that is just dying to see Christians being salt and light instead of assaulters. (laughs) Okay? Let's pray.